Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in Life Advice Corner, Chris is going to answer a question about being criticized for having pretentious movie tastes. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Quatran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, we, we have a bunch of news to get to because we haven't done a news episode since last week. And some news just hit the wires that Warner Brothers is not going to have a panel at Comic-Con this year in Hall H. And I, I since I've been going to Comic-Con since uh, the year John Favreau brought Iron Man to Hall H, there has been a Hall H panel. So, Chris, what is going on here? Uh, you know, as far back as we can find through our limited research, there Warner Brothers hasn't skipped Hall H in at least twenty years, but they're doing it this year. Uh, they will have no presence there at all. In fact, except for It Chapter Two, which will be at uh, Scare Diego, which is usually this this opening night deal where that that highlights horror films. But that's not at Hall H. That's at a different location. It's not even at the main. Uh, convention hall where most of the stuff takes place. So, yeah, that, that, that's what they call an off-site event, and I think that's not officially part of Comic-Con. 
Right. So, you know, uh, uh, what makes this extra weird is that Warner Brothers has a lot of big stuff on the horizon that, that they could easily have unveiled here. I mean, they have uh, the Joker movie. They have Water Woman 1984. Uh, they have the new Batman movie, which, you know, hasn't started shooting yet, but they could have easily put something together. Uh, they have Birds of Prey. They have uh, Godzilla versus Kong. They have Dune. They have Doctor Sleep. All this stuff is it's pretty big and seems uh, perfect for, you know, Hall H, but not happening this year for some strange reason. Um, you know, uh, attendance in Comic-Con has, has started to dwindle a bit in recent years, and a lot of studios are catching on to the fact that they don't really need Comic-Con anymore. You know, there was a time where it seemed like, you know, it was a must-do. You had to do it if you wanted to get the word out, but... You know, uh, Disney, for one, has realized they can control things themselves with their own conventions. So they have, you know, Star Wars Celebration and D twenty three, right? Exactly. So, and, and I should clarify: you said attendance has been waning. That's not in terms of the public attendance, which is still it sells out every year. You're talking about studios and people, right? Going, right. Yeah. Right. So it's just more and more studios seem to be catching on that it's not. You can get away with not going to Comic-Con and still get the word of your film out there. So it just seems like as the years go on, less and less people are going to be showing up. And uh, that might be the end of Comic-Con in this form. I, I don't think Comic-Con will ever go away. It'll just evolve into something else. Yeah, in recent years, it's been evolving into television. Like most of the panels in Hall H and and Ballroom Twenty has have been turning into big TV. Like we're at we're in peak TV, and uh, movies are kind of uh, maybe it's too costly for the movie studios. But it seems like uh, those rabid fan bases who are coming back episode after episode, season after season, uh, maybe it makes more sense if you have a TV show to feed into that in these big, expensive, elaborate panels in HD. This brings us to you. This could be your first year at Comic-Con. Are you excited? <laughs> I'm still excited. Uh, yeah, this is my first time going to Comic-Con, and that uh, the fact that studios are going to it less does not uh, put a damper on my excitement for this because maybe it means that the halls will be less crowded and I can just enjoy Comic-Con in its purest form, which is just the appreciation of all geek things and not have to be crowded and overpacked the entire time yeah last year it was much easier to get into hall h because there was just much less happening uh this year marvel is going to return or we expect that marvel's going to return we're going to have a big epic announcement of their next few years of film so at least you'll have that to look forward to hd yeah (laughs) because the marvel presentation is is by far i think like I think uh, Jacob referred to it as almost going to like a rock concert. It's the energy in that room is just insane. So at least we'll have that. But um, okay, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on everything being announced for Comic Con. What is there and what is not, and you'll hear about that in the future of the podcast. Um, but let's move on to one of the films Chris mentioned that isn't going to be there: the Batman, the Matt Reeves take on the Cape Crusader. Um, we now know a little bit more about his take. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so recently Robert Pattinson was finally finalized as taking over the role of Batman in Matt Reeves' The Batman. And uh, The Hollywood Reporter had this sort of expose on how it all came together and it dropped a few tidbits. Um, it, one thing I found interesting is that it mentioned that 
the the choice was only ever between Robert Pattinson and Nicholas Holt. Um, you know, there had been rumors of other people in the past, like Aaron Taylor Johnson was one of them that got brought up, but and uh, Army Hammer and stuff like that. But according to this report, as far as Matt Reeves was concerned, it was only down to these two guys, and uh, he it came sort of much like up to the wire where. He, he was going back and forth between both of them, and he finally settled on Robert Pattinson. Um, maybe settled isn't a good word because Robert Pattinson is a good choice. He's a good actor, but he finally picked Robert Pattinson. Um, also, in the midst of all this, it mentions that the film is not going to be an origin story, which is good because we really don't need another Batman origin story. That said, it does mention that the film is going to be taking place very early in Batman's career, um, stressing that he's going to be about in his 30s and it's going to be uh, sort of about how he's he's still kind of learning the rope. So we sort of got this before with Batman Begins, but that film was really about the, the very, very beginning of Batman's career. And then the Dark Knight sort of jumped forward into a point where Batman was sort of already set up in Gotham City. And now... Uh, uh, it looks like this this film is going to be uh, in you know sort of in in that middle point. So there you have it. What, what do you think about that, Chris? I I kind of sense in your voice that 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 is not something exciting for you. Uh, no, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what to think about this movie yet. I do think Robert Pattinson is a great choice. I think he's a very good actor. I'm very interested in seeing his take on the film on this character, because I really have a feeling it's going to be a really weird take. It's going to be sort of like Michael Keaton's take where he, he plays him as this sort of like unhinged uh, weirdo. Um, I, I've always loved Michael Keaton's Batman just because Michael Keaton is a very intense actor and he brought this sort of uh, off kilter energy to, to the role. And, you know, I, I thought Christian Bale's Batman was good, but he played him as this sort of, almost like blank, dry, very up, upright, moral kind of guy. And I don't see Robert Pattinson playing it as that. At the same time, it's like, do we really need like another, like another Batman movie so soon? It just seems like it's time for maybe a break. But I'm sure the minute I start seeing images from the film, the minute I see a trailer, I'm going to get hyped up. I mean, I'm yeah, excited you, because you made I'm... a 180 about the Joker movie, Chris. So <laughs> it's true, but uh, I've also gone back a little bit due to some other things. So I'm not excited about the Joker movie anymore. But that's neither here nor there. I, I'm excited because of Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves has never done me wrong, and I, I was kind of hoping that he was going to go for an older Batman because we really haven't seen that. I know Zack Snyder kind of was trying to approach Ben Affleck's Batman as that, but, like, we didn't really get to see much of that. We just got hints when we saw, like, you know, things around his Batcave and kind of him just as a general tone of things. Um, but, yes, I'm in. I'm all in. Uh, let's talk about the Halo TV series. Uh, this is coming, and apparently it wants to be Game of Thrones because everything wants to be Game of Thrones. HT, what is going on here? Yeah, so the... Um... The Halo TV series, which has been long in the making, it's been in development with Showtime for nearly five years now with 343 Industries, which is the video game developer for the franchise. Um, but perhaps it was waiting for a Game of Thrones-sized hole that it could fill, because now that Game of Thrones has wrapped, plenty of shows will be trying to take that place. And apparently Halo will be that. That is according to the um, transmedia chief, 
Kiki Wolfkill, uh, who said that um, the Halo TV series is similar to Game of Thrones a lot in terms of scope, scale, and complexity of relationships. Uh, she says that, um, quote, a lot of the background of Halo is a sort of political drama. It's something that is touched on really lightly in the games, and you may see some more of it in other mediums. Some of that Game of Thrones-style complexity is interesting, end quote. But she says that, uh, unlike Game of Thrones, they will not be touching on any incest. Hmm. I mean, I'm not a big video gamer, but... Oh, some... man, no incest. Okay. <laughs> But, but, I mean, that was my reaction. So. <laughs> but what, what, what I'm wondering is, like, are people, like, are fans of the Halo franchise really interested in, like, a Game of Thrones, like, political drama? Like, I feel like they just want to see people go out and shoot things. Like, you know, it's a first-person shooter game, right? Yeah. I also don't know much <laughs> about the Halo video games, but I that's my um, impression of it as well, that it's more just point-and-shoot and um, it's not really something that re really um, asks for a lot of uh, complexity. But, you know, it's a TV series and they're probably trying to flesh it out more and perhaps try to overcome the video game curse that has plagued so many video game adaptations on the big and small screen. I mean, I don't want to be the guy that says, like, you know, a Halo TV series or movie just needs to be, like, action and who cares about the characters, but, like... I don't know. I just don't think this is the property. When you tell me that, you know, Amazon is making a Lord of the Rings show and they're aiming for it to be their Game of Thrones, that makes sense to me, right? But this, I mean, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this one? I mean, I've, I've never really played the Halo games. I am not a big gamer, but when I, everything I know about them doesn't suggest a Game of Thrones-like story. It suggests, as you were both saying, guys running around in armor shooting each other. So I don't know. I don't know why they're going. I mean, I know why they're going for this because Game of Thrones was very popular and they want to cash in on that. But it, it seems like a very strange approach. Yeah. And so we're going to get a bunch of emails from Halo <laughs> fans being like, no, actually, this is look, one of the most complex stories. I, I'm, look, <laughs> I'll save you the trouble. Don't write those emails because I'm not going to read them. Just keep them to yourself. <laughs> I know there's some books and stuff, but I, I do know like in the games, it is first person and you're playing Master Chief, which is this badass looking soldier, futuristic soldier guy. And we don't really know much about him. And I feel like this is going to make the same mistake that a lot of video game movies do make and try to give us a you know elaborate backstory to him and give humanize him and i feel like what makes those characters under the mask cool is they're under the mask and we don't know what's on the other side of that do you know what i mean like i don't want to know who boba fett is you know i just want to know that he's this badass bounty hunter but uh i'm, I'm sure that we'll learn well, all, all sorts of well, things of how uh master chief became master chief well, Peter, Boba Fett is a clone. Don't you remember of another? He's the son of another clone or something? I don't know. It was really stupid. <laughs> Speaking of clones, Netflix has announced they're making a Jurassic World animated series called Camp Cretaceous. Uh, what do we know about this, Chris? Is this related to the movie? No. No, it is. That would be <laughs> that'd be very weird if it was. Um, it's it's a it's an animated series from DreamWorks headed to Netflix next year, and it's set in the same timeline as the the first Jurassic World movie. So, I'm guessing this is supposed to be happening elsewhere in the park, and probably even before 
all hell broke loose in Jurassic World. Um, it's about a group of kids, uh, about six teenagers chosen for a once-in-a-lifetime experience at a new adventure ca- camp on the opposite side of Isla Nublar. So that's, you know, obviously that's the island that Jurassic Park and then Jurassic World is located wait, on. Wait, 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 can I interrupt you here? No. This is an awesome theme park. Like, it's, it has live dinosaurs. It, it is amazing. Probably costs a fortune. And these kids, like, get sent to the other side of the island to do, like, camping, which they could do anywhere <laughs> else in the world. Yeah, that's a bit. That's a bit of a bummer. Um, there, there's more to the synopsis. It says, "Ben, but when dinosaurs wreak havoc across the island, the, the campers are stranded, unable to reach the outside world. They'll need to go from strangers to friends to family if they're going to survive. So it's kind of like Lord of the Flies, but with dinosaurs, which could be cool. Yeah, no, I actually would want to see that. Uh, HD, do you have any interest, or is Jurassic World just?" Give it, like had such a bad taste in your mouth that you, you just have. Yeah, no I, I really dislike Jurassic World, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't really have much interest in this, but I will say, uh, Peter, in response to your um, <laughs> disbelief that they would put kids camping on Ila. Um, oh, I'm not Nubar. questioning the logic. I I think they <laughs> like, totally there isn't would. Much logic in the Jurassic Park franchise. I'm, I'm just saying, like, why would you fly someone out to this like remote island? And put them on like the other side of the island where there's nothing special. You, you, you could, you could, you could be camping like in the middle middle of America and get like the same thing that you could get Why from. Why would you put kids camping next to a dinosaur park? Like, how does that make any sense? <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think any of it makes sense. But <laughs> okay, uh, speaking of not making sense, uh, Hollywood is making a Magic Eight Ball movie. This is the Magic Eight Ball toy that you. That you pick up and you ask a question and you turn it over and it answers the question. Apparently Blumhouse is interested in turning this into a big screen property. HT, what do we know? Um, basically that's it. Uh, Mattel, <laughs> the toy fan, the toy company behind uh, iconic toy lines like Barbie, Hot Wheels, Masters of the Universe, and of course the Magic 8-Ball is teaming up with Blumhouse to bring um, a Magic 8-Ball movie to the big screen. Um, this is... They, the first time that Mattel has partnered with an indie studio, and it does not say particularly whether this will be a horror film, but considering Blumhouse's uh, range of films, it will likely be something like that, which is kind of strange considering the Magic 8-Ball has never really been associated with anything supernatural or horror-like, like the Ouija board, for example. It's just something that you t- that tells your fortune, which I guess could have paranormal connotations, but maybe that's what Blumhouse will be leaning into. Like, what does the magic eight ball actually do? Like, it's not like a la- you know, it's not like the magic lamp from Aladdin. Like, you can't like ask you know wish for things and it grants it. It just tells you things. So like, it's like magic eight ball. Am I gonna die if I go through that hallway? Yes. Yeah, that, that's what it's probably gonna be, or it's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically the you just wrote the movie. Oh. Yeah, there you go, Peter. So, so apparently we don't have to see Pay it. them, Blumhouse. It's going to be a them. huge hit too. I mean, I'm sure it will because Blumhouse is going to pay for the Magic Eight Ball, pay a uh, scale for a couple actors, and uh, you know it'll make millions at the box office. So um, okay, let's talk about Punky Brewster. They're apparently rebooting this as well. Chris, what is going on? Uh, yeah, so Punky Brewster is a TV show in the 80s. It was about this um, 
girl who got abandoned by her mother in Chicago. And she she's very self-sufficient. She's very uh, sassy. She's a, she's a smart kid. So she and her dog, Brandon, um, basically break into an apartment. <laughs> and the apartment building owner uh, sort of adopts her as his, his, his foster daughter, stepdaughter, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, comedy ensues. Uh, it was a hit show. It spawned an animated series. And now it's coming back as a, a reboot. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's not your, it's not like a whole new take. It's a, it's a sequel series where Punky Brewster is now an adult and she has a kid of her own. Does she lose kid, her kid? No, she, she's, she's, she's a much better mother than her own mother, I guess. Um, and she's, she has a kid of her own and the kid will, I guess, get into, you know, antics of her own. And there you have it. Did Punky Brewster ever find her mom? I don't I don't know. I know there was there was very special episodes. There was episodes where the Challenger explodes and she gets really upset and she has to learn about astronauts exploding in space. So <laughs> I, um, I don't know if she ever reunites with her mom, though. Punky so Brewster. I actually, I never saw this show. It was before my time, and wow, that is a dark premise. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't the whole show. Oh, the abandoned thing or the astronauts exploding? Oh, the space. abandoned thing, not the astronauts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still like uh, wrapped up with the fact that she got abandoned by her her parents, and that's the premise of this show. I think her father was dead, and her mom abandoned her. So it's no. not her. Don't blame her dad. He he had no say in the matter. Wait a second. So did they – I never watched the show as well. Um, did, did they recap that entire abandonment story in the opening of each – like, was it like – I'm the, pretty sure, like, in the credits you see – like, there's a song and, like, you see her, like – So there's a happy song? <laughs> I don't think the song, like, says that, but I think you, like, see her, like, throw her arms up in the air, like, where's my mom? And then she goes in through a window. I don't know. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even um, I don't even know a transition between this and uh, X Men Dark Phoenix. So, so yeah, we're moving on to X Men Dark Phoenix. Uh, HT, you saw this movie. You wrote a review for the site, which got published at one in the morning because maybe the studio didn't want anybody to see it. (laughs) Um, What did you think of the movie? This is not a good movie. Um, but unlike a lot of uh, the reviews out there who are calling, who are you know scorched earthing this film, it's not the worst X Men movie. It's just kind of um, it is a big mess though, especially the first two acts, which have um, incredibly messy scaffolding and some of the worst dialogue ever put to a superhero film. Which is ironic since Simon Kinberg, who um, is a longtime X Men screenwriter, uh, takes his directorial debut with this film. Um, so it should be noted. He's also the guy that wrote the last stand. So yes. And he also wrote the last stand, which was the first film to tackle the dark Phoenix saga. And he takes his second stab at doing so with the dark Phoenix and, uh, he doesn't succeed. This is, um, it's a film that's all over the place and, uh, is trying very hard to uphold the legacy of the X-Men franchise. And while it's not entirely a train wreck, there are some quite good action sequences, especially the second, the last um, action sequence that takes place on a train, it um, kind of comes to uh, just like this feeble, um, limp ending that only reminds you of the lost potential of this franchise. So it's just, um, 
it there's a lot of corny dialogue that um, is delivered by actors who are long checked out of this series, and uh, it's um, the rest of the the actors, the newcomers like Sophie Turner, Ty Sheridan, don't have quite enough talent to um, carry that burden of this film, which is, uh, like I said, a kind of a hot mess. Yeah. I'll say this. I w- you know, I saw all the trailers for this and every single one of them looked horrendous. And I feel like the movie itself is much better than the marketing. But that said, it's still very mediocre. I agree with everything you said. Uh, we'll put, post a link to your review in the show notes. So if anybody wants to read it before deciding if they should go see Dark Phoenix in theaters or not, uh, you know, you, you can do that. You've been properly warned. But uh, I, I have a question, HT. How come yes. they're not called X-Women? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I don't have a funny answer to that. But That's actually a line in the movie, folks. They actually released that clip on, online. That Jennifer Lawrence guests deliver, and she looks like she hates every moment of delivering it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's move over to Life Advice Corner with Chris. It's Chris's Advice Corner. So today we have an email from Name Withheld, who writes in, I've recently found out through mutual friends that my movie taste has been described as pretentious. Most of this stems from the fact that uh, that as a group we saw Bohemian Rhapsody and everyone enjoyed it except for myself. They also know that I frequent the local indie theater because I wanted to see movies like Can You Ever Forgive Me, Burning, Wildlife, Vox Lux. Uh, is this a title I should actively work to disprove by pointing out my adoration for franchises like Fast and Furious and Underworld and how would be the best way of doing this. I appreciate any guidance you could provide, Chris. Uh, You should embrace this this title, (laughs) name name withheld. Look, a thing I learned a long time ago, um, and I wish I had learned it sooner, is that you really shouldn't care what people think about your tastes like I, when i was in high school i was terrified of people you know knowing my tastes and liking quote unquote the wrong things like oh i couldn't admit i liked this band or i couldn't admit i liked this movie because it would be it would make me look uh uncool and you know as i got older i realized that you know f- you know screw it i i want to like what i like you know life is too short to worry about impressing other people with your tastes. So I, I would say there's there's really nothing wrong with liking uh, quote-unquote pretentious films, and there's also nothing wrong with, with liking trash. Um, you know, I know I've been labeled snobby, especially uh, by some of the readers of SlashFilm.com who think I'm a, a, a monster for not embracing every single MCU film. And you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, sometimes I get a little defensive and I say, you know, I do like some MCU films and I do like plenty of garbagey films, but, uh, you know, my, my tastes are my tastes and everyone is different and, you know, don't, don't worry about it. Just like what you like, enjoy what you like, and don't let these, these naysayers get you down. I think that's pretty good advice. The The one thing I would add to this is, that when you're talking about smaller films, and I, I, I tend to do this, I, I think probably all of us tend to do this, 
you tend to like speak more passionately because they, these are films that people don't know about and haven't seen. And uh, maybe with bigger films, you know, generally we all talk, uh, you know, we're not as on our soapbox about them. So uh, maybe tr- try to love everything equal or, you know, to to spread your love for everything you love equally so that your 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 friends know, you know, what is in your heart, if that makes any sense. H, do you have any thoughts on this? No, I think Chris put it perfectly. Yeah. Um, I've also, I, I'm with my family who likes a lot of the kind of more crowd pleasing films. I've often been labeled as pretentious as well, but <laughs> I try not to just like talk too much or like um, you know try to push my, um, I guess yeah, push my like thoughts on them too much because I don't want to like ruin other people's enjoyment of things. But if I'm asked about it, then I'll like talk about it and try to um, you know. Put, support these smaller films that I think that deserve as much, but it's also yeah all about people's taste. And if they won't like this film, then you know they'll they won't like it. Yeah, totally. If you have a question for Chris and Chris's advice corner, you can send it to Peter at slashfilm.com and please leave your name and general geographic location in can, in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, you can find all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast, Slashfilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you tomorrow. But Chris, I mean, your movie tastes are kind of pretentious. <sighs> Peter, don't. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I want to say that that person is right. Bohemian Rhapsody is terrible, so... <laughs> There's nothing Bad wrong with saying that. Uh, it, it, it's it's wonderfully generic, is what I would say. <laughs> sure, that's a nice way of saying it's bad. Sure. I don't know. I think it's enjoyable, but I, I definitely see why people do not like it. Yeah, because it's bad. <laughs> <laughs>